I think a family business success is built on the core principle of multi-generational collaboration. I don't think that has actually changed. I think we're still looking at the best case scenario being multiple generations working closely together and each bringing to the table what they do best. Welcome to episode 102 of Chaos and Rocket Fuel, the future of work podcast. This is the podcast that looks as you'd expect at all aspects of work in the future. It's brought to you by Wonder, and I'm your host, Doug Folks. With me is the CEO at Wonder, Claire Haydar, and this month we are busy spending time with co-founder of Orbis Terra Media, a global content marketing agency, editor-in-chief of Throw Up Magazine, and family entrepreneur Ramya El Agami, and we're talking about family businesses. Last time we got a good background into Ramya's career path, as well as understanding more about the dynamics of a family business. Today we focus more on how multi-generational family businesses will play a role in the future of work, and specifically the advantages and disadvantages they face. Claire. Ramya, moving us on into the second segment of this conversation where I specifically want to turn a lens on the future of work and how family businesses play into that. You've said it, you know, we lined up the conversation with this in terms of generational family businesses truly do impact the economy and therefore work, you know, which is what we're all about on this show is, can you share some relevant and important data with us that's important for this audience to know about? So, I mean, this is so this is actually the difficult part about family businesses and contributions. So the numbers are very vague and the, the studies are very far and few between. I know from various countries that the contribution to, you know, GDP is very significant and the contribution to job creation is enormous. I'll give you the example, for instance, here in Switzerland, where I'm from. And Switzerland is like, uh, I think, currently the second richest country in the world, right? Like, so it's very influential in that respect economically. The SME sector alone, there's like 95% of the SME sector is actually family businesses. So you can imagine how much that contributes to to jobs and job creation, right? Like their sustainability is absolutely vital for the economy. Also, the same thing. I know that the U.S. boasts, I think, you know, easily over 70 percent of all the businesses in the U.S. are family businesses as well, creating significant jobs and and turning around enormous amounts of revenue and contributing to the GDP in an incredible way. Now, whether to be honest with you, when you know when it comes to the actual workplace, right? Like and the future of work, etc. I have to say that I think that it's very hard to say at this stage if we can claim that family businesses necessarily make the best employers or not. What I can tell you, based on the recent pandemic, is that we've seen a lot of family businesses keeping people on during this crisis, maintaining their their jobs, right? Like even though it meant significant losses, and this is a typical family business reaction, you would say, right? Like it's this idea that even in times of crisis, we'd rather take the hit financially than to lose our people. I'm not sure it translates necessarily in like, you know, that that's the best work culture or the best workplace. But we have seen that patience that we talk about, that they think beyond, you know, two, four years, two, three years of pandemic. That's definitely been proven, I think, in the last few years. And I was happy to see that it was the case that people were prioritized. So, Rami, I also have a, a question around the future of work, and it's really just to ask you what are the advantages and, and the disadvantages that family businesses have over their non-family or traditional counterparts? 
So this is a great question. I do think actually that there is a competitive advantage to being a family business in this day and age with regards to the expectations people have from what work is going to look like in the future. Because I think even though maybe family businesses tend to be associated with, you know, maybe tradition as well, right? Like, because naturally when you have like a history of even a few decades, if not even like, you know, if you're a centenarian, et cetera, that could come with a very heavy sort of legacy mindset, right? Like, so this is how we've always done business and this is like how it should stay. But I actually see like both things. You see those families that might be stuck in that mindset and it becomes a competitive disadvantage for them, right? Like because they can't let go of the past. They might not be fast enough in adjusting. But I think those that understand that change is required and like, you know, tradition does not have to stand in the way of innovation and that you're not losing your history or like, you know, your legacy by doing things differently. Those are the ones that experience the real advantages of being family owned. Now, because when you're family owned or like closely held, if you will, then of course, making decisions with regards to these things can be much faster, right? Like you can maybe afford to be more flexible, right? Like, so if the family is aligned, for instance, with regards to, how their dividends are being paid, et cetera. And if they're willing to make certain sacrifices, you actually, in a family business, you could create the kind of environment that allows a lot of experimentation, right? Like with how you want to create a workspace that is right for everyone, how you want to adjust these things. And I think actually, again, like during the pandemic, which I think was like a, almost like hitting the fast forward button on a lot of what the future of work, like, you know, discussion relates to, I can imagine you guys must have been really, it must have been really interesting for you guys to look at considering how much you you talk about this subject. So, you know, going towards that hybrid workplace or even totally remote, et cetera. And you could see that those families that had the open-mindedness of understanding that this does not mean a loss of identity for them, I mean, they did so well and they adjusted so quickly, right? Like, and I thought that this was really a testimony to what you can do when the ownership is in the hands of a family, right? Like it can really mean quick decision-making. This of course is the ideal case to be fair. Like it can also kind of go the opposite way, right? Like where family dynamics and family conflicts can really stand in the way of creating a good culture for everybody else. And, you know, sometimes family dynamics will also create the kind of favoritism and nepotism that you hear about that will prevent other people from having the careers that they deserve. But I think like generally in this crisis, I've seen a lot of very positive cases. But again, like I think both ends of the spectrum exists. I think as a tendency, family businesses should consider themselves workplaces of the future. If they can embrace that juxtaposition between tradition and innovation, that these two things are not opposites, right? Like in this kind of a situation, but that actually on the contrary, you know, the tradition makes you strong to innovate, right? Like, so I think when that recognition is there, you see family businesses do extraordinary things in my view. And and I'm not sure if I can say they outperform the, you know, their, their corporate counterparts or their non-family counterparts in that respect. But I do know when family businesses lean into that, they are almost unbeatable in terms of culture. It's It's very impressive. Sorry, Claire, just before you go on, because I know you want you want to ask something. So, I mean, one of my thoughts was around the potential disadvantage of the generation gap. You're talking about the future of work and change and innovation. Is that something that can potentially sort of go against the generations? If you have an older generation that maybe aren't quite able to keep up with the with the pace. I mean, the reality is I'm quite finding it quite tricky to keep up with the pace of change. So I think a family business success is built on the core principle of multi-generational collaboration, right? 
And even in times like these, like today, I don't think that has actually changed. I think we're still looking at the best case scenario being multiple generations working closely together and each bringing to the table what they do best. And I think that's what I've seen as well in the families I've interviewed, like those that have embraced that, like that creating space around everyone's contribution do the best work, honestly. And I I actually, to be honest with you, Doug, I don't know how you see this, but I actually don't even just believe in that in family businesses. I think generally in business, there should be inclusivity with regards to all generations, because I just don't see how, how otherwise you can build a sustainable business if you only rely on youth or if you only rely on, uh, you know, on, on experience, like neither of these things make sense to me, right? Like it's just, it might, it might feel like the easier choice, right? Like, because it may be easier to build culture around just one group of people if you don't have to consider different uh, levels of understanding. But I still think that ultimately the most sustainable and the biggest success will come from actually including all the different generations. And I think this might mean creating the kind of communication and culture that really goes both ways, right? Like I think if your intention is to stay a family business, of course, at some point you have to ask yourself, like, how are we going to involve the next generation, right? Like, so you have to start thinking already about how do we communicate. So a lot of communication comes in. Same thing with the next generation. Like, you know, if they come into ownership or if they come into the next generation of the family, as in if they are next generation of owners, they might want to change things about the business. So they have to learn how to communicate with the, with the generation that's in charge and convince them and make their business case. So it's really good training. But I can't imagine this ever working you know, when there's like a dominant sort of like representation of just one generation. On the contrary, it would I, I guess it would totally defeat the purpose of the idea of like, you know, looking, you know, across, like if you want to make it sustainable for decades to come, because that's a big feat, right? Like, so you need those different degrees of, of, of wisdom and experience and innovation. I think that spectrum is extremely important as an ingredient. You know, it's, that's why I think like those, I don't know if you guys agree, but maybe that's why those, you know, those, the Silicon Valley firms and the tech firms seem so, so sexy because they also were actually extremely ageist in many respects, right? Like it just seemed like, you know, it was just like a lot of young people. And of course it's easy to get people of the same age, kind of like, you know, get them excited along the same culture, but I'm not sure it's the way forward for business in the long run. Like, you know, if you just, if you, um, because yeah, you, you might lose that perspective. You might lose the wisdom and the input that you can get from the older generation. And so actually, so yeah, so the family business construct in that sense lends itself really well, I think, to working intergenerationally. So, yeah. And with that, we draw the second part of our conversation with Ramya to a close. If you missed the first part of our conversation, you can check it out on your favorite podcast platform or on the Wanda website, wndyr.com. We'll conclude our chat with Ramya shortly. From Claire and myself, we'll see you soon.